Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope once again you had a wonderful weekend, and I hope your week is starting well. I love this time that we have together, so thank you for spending it with me. And I'm looking forward to this hour. My friend Patrick, who usually starts the first hour, uh, got bumped, so he's been sitting in the green room for an hour waiting to come on. And also Carrie Heddington is going to be joining me in the second half of this hour and she uh, is an amazing mind and thinker, and you're going to love this hour. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. I, 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 th- I thank you for having me. I, I love how <laughs> you you mentioned me, and then you mentioned that I also have somebody who's got a great mind and is a marvelous thinker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like that was not uh, what I meant, but you know, no. But it's true. I, I got. Well, I used, she has yeah. got a great thinker. She's a great thinker. I used the extra time, by the way. I did use the What'd extra you do? hour uh, while I was backing a trailer into the driveway. It's my first time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, inside joke. I love it. It's a, it's a lot, a lot harder than it than you might think. Yes, uh, I'm not going to tell you how long it took, but I will say half a tank of gas. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> well, this is the first time. First time. time, first time all for, I'm going to say about that. First time for everything. Yeah. So do you understand the concept of the upgrade at the coffee shop? Let me tell you. Uh, They they offered a free free upgrade today. Free free upgrade today. And so I went in there and I thought, well, I'll order. Like you you go in for a cup of coffee and you walk out with uh, a sofa? (laughs) No, no, it's a free upgrade. So you go, well, I'll order my regular small and I'll get a medium, right? Yeah. Or I'll order my medium and get a large so that there's your upgrade. Because I've never known how the upgrade works. So you go in there, and you they give you the beverage you order. They give you the medium, but they just charge you for the small. And I didn't know how that worked. I thought, I'm getting a bigger beverage for the same amount. Uh, did you ever bring it to their attention? or did I you did feel today. Like you, did I did today. Say anything? No, I okay. said, I don't know how the upgrade works. And they said, well, wow. we, we give you the size you order, and we then discount the drink uh, one cup down. I, it, now, I wish my mortgage worked a lot like that. I'm, yeah, <laughs> you might be wondering, where am I going with this illustration, right? You are, I know you're going somewhere. I'm going yeah. somewhere uh, because I, I'm starting to wonder, you, you function in life a lot of times not exactly knowing what the benefit is. Uh, you don't know what the benefit of the upgrade is? Well, or you, you, just, you're, you know that. there's a benefit, you know there's an upgrade, but you don't know how it works. Isn't that kind of like, you know, if stuff is always on sale, isn't that actually the price then? I mean, doesn't exactly. that just work out to be, you know, that uh, uh, if, if it's perpetually on sale, it's always 20% off. It's like, just lower the price 20%. Of course, we do like the word sale. We love it. Yeah, we love it. But I think yeah. when you are, you know, I think when you come to faith, I think there's oftentimes people don't understand what the, the true benefits are being part of the family of God. And they don't learn what they are. 
I well, and then th- this is going to sound odd to even say this. I think they don't want to know. Why do you say uh, that? Because they don't. I, I say that because uh, they're so set against not um, becoming Christians because of all the stuff that they've bought into. Uh, that it's like you know, I don't don't even tell me. You know, I mean, how many times have you, you run into that brick wall? Where people they, they know you're a Christian, and if if a conversation just even broaches uh, talking about Jesus or God, they're like, "I'm out, I'm out, I don't want to hear a single thing about it." It's like, "Don't you want to hear the good news?" No, I don't. Oh, that's true. So why don't they want to hear the good news? I don't know. And they don't want to hear the it's good a news spiritual issue. I think they're afraid of being, being convinced. Mm-hmm. Remember, they're afraid if they hear it, they'll be like. I, 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 I accept. Let's go. Right. right. And they're that afraid to do it. I mean, do you remember the old American Express ad? Membership has. It's privileges. It's privileges, right. So you always, yeah. you know, you always want to go, well, okay, what are my benefits? When you get, when you sign up for something or you buy something new, you get a new camera and you go, okay, there's a 400 page manual. I want to learn every feature of this camera. Yes. Can you, can you break it down to about a page and a half? <laughs> <laughs> right. But. When people come to faith in Christ, I don't think they completely understand what's happened in their life, what God has brought into their life. Because once you understand what God has done for you, you can't stop talking about it. Well, do you find it unusual that uh, people seem to be more worried about what God is going to ask of them than what it is that God can do for them? And maybe their fear in becoming a Christian or hearing the story is like, what are you going to ask of me? What are you going to want me to do? Uh, It's a very unusual, uh, maybe we're just cynical people, uh, you know, in a day and age of, you know, um, uh, what do you expect from me? But are people, are are they genuinely fearful that they're going to be asked to, you know, to, it's like, oh gosh, next week you'll be sending me to, uh, to Haiti. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. And you know, you and I have had this conversation many times. And I've always liked your approach to it because you said, "Don't worry about that stuff." You know, things will, God, the Holy Spirit will there. Things will be placed in your heart if they're right for you. You'll you'll know. Yeah. And, and, and you can't predict today what it is you're going to say yes to tomorrow. So don't worry about yeah. that. And I promise, if God sent you to Haiti, you'd call me in two weeks going. I have never been more excited in my life than what I'm doing right now. I promise that would be your response. There'd be things about Haiti I, I, you wouldn't like, but you would tell me I've never been feel I've never felt more alive. I I agree. I, I think you're absolutely uh, 100% correct but about we, that. When you come to faith and you become a new creation in Christ, you become an overcomer, you become righteous in the eyes of God. You, you are a saint, you are sanctified, you are saved and, and you're born again. Those are works that God does in your life. Yeah, and it's there's not this... Uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the air. I know we've talked about it personally. Uh, you, you have that moment where you say, okay, you know, I'm in. I'm joining the team. I, I, I accept Jesus as my, as my Savior, and uh, let's go. And uh, you, you, you sit there and you say, so what happens next, you know? Yeah, well, you and get involved you, in His God, Word, in fellowship, yeah. in community, in prayer. And study, yeah, and you start to go. And it's a slow transformation. Yes, it of, is. Of, you know, I mean, when you think about it, a hardened heart 
it's going to, it's going to take a little bit of effort to turn that. It's mm-hmm. it's not just going to you know at the snap of a finger become something that it wasn't before. It's it starts with the decision, and then once you've opened that door, then this this process happens. And I mean, I find it pretty wonderful that you look back X number of years and you say, look how far I've come. What happened? Right. What happened? I didn't even see it happening. Right. I didn't even see the changes. Yeah. Yet here it is. Well, God. And it's. When you're, wonderful. If, you're, if your heart is hardened and you come to faith, God takes out that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. So if it's the work of God, he does all that work in your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and so we should be so over, we should be so overwhelmed with gratitude and we should be so excited to talk about what's God, what God has done in our life that we should not be able to shut up about it. So I feel like the lucky one because I have a job that sits, I can sit and not shut up about it. Yes. Uh, yeah, that that is kind of nice. Where people say we we like well, and you know, but it's not by accident that you're there. Um, I I think yes, you you this is something, and I've known you for twenty years. Uh, this is something you always want to talk about. Yeah, I you always want to talk about this. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it 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 turns out that you actually happen to be very good at it. Uh, I wasn't because, looking for that, but thank you. No. No, it, it and it's not, and it isn't even about a matter of persuasion, because uh, I never like with you and you, you presented the gospel to me. I never felt like you were trying to convince me of anything, persuade me of anything. You were just the the person there to answer the questions, and I, I think that's part part of the reason why you ended up where you did end up. Because uh, people find it's like, well, I'm, nobody's trying to convince you of anything. Just listen. I think C.S. C.S. Lewis put it so well, and I'll probably not say this correctly, but the truth is like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. It will defend itself. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need yeah, to persuade. You need to speak right. the truth and let God's word be the authoritative uh, voice. And his seed will not um, will not return void. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that you live that. I'm well, just going to say that. Thank you. And now we're not talking about me. So um, I think I'm going to take a little break. How does it feel being on an hour later? Is it just throwing you off? You know, I feel like I'm in Arizona, you know, where they have no time zones. <laughs> My sister lives out. There. Yeah. She can be very smug about it. She's like, I don't care where anybody else lives. I don't have to change clocks. So I I'm, I feel like I have a little bit of jet lag. Sure. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. You've been sitting in the green room for an hour. Appreciate that. All right. Yeah. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We'll take a short break. After some banjo music, we'll be right back. Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I am back with Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines. West. West Des Moines. Uh, So, Patrick, when when I think about you know, people knowing who they are in Christ. And I think we need to always be reminding each other. We need to be encouraging one another with what our true identity is, because it's getting more confusing in the world. People are confused. There's Christians who are becoming confused, but if they go to solid biblical doctrine and they go to solid 
uh, bi- biblical promises and understand who they are in Christ, you stand strong in, in a world that is so confused. Yeah, and I, I have you. This is an observation of mine, and so that means it uh, adjusted for inflation. It may or may not be accurate, and it's been, I think, the case since the beginning of time. More so lately, it seems that uh, it's very easy for people to be persuaded out of faith without, say, doubling back and checking with their pastor or somebody who knows. So when somebody that is not a Christian asks, poses one of those questions, well, I just don't understand this, and they can plant that negative seed, you understand that somebody's just trying to drive a wedge in there. And of course, I've always wondered why it was important to that person, you know, why that person would find it you know, uh, delightful to themselves to talk somebody out of their faith, uh, you know, but um, I, I get worried when people just run with somebody posing what maybe by appearance appears, appears to be a clever question, take it to your pastor. And I, I would, I would bet that he would swat that thing down pretty quickly and say, oh yes, that old chestnut, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's. I think in a time like this, it shouldn't be that hard to hold on to faith. I think it should be the first thing we we go for, shouldn't it? Oh, it's like okay, it's, it's tough times. It's like this should this should be the time you should be celebrating your faith and saying, look, there's a, a lot to be grateful for, and uh, I have this lifeline, this hope line, uh, called God. Well, you've and got He's there for me, and I need Him now. Yeah, you've got that part inside of you. You got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You got something completely indestructible living inside of you. How would you ever not go to him for comfort when you are distressed? That's my encouragement today. Because I know there's, you know, getting to the end of the summer and people are starting to think, oh, here we go, fall. You've got, are your kids in school? Did they start back this week? They will start on Thursday. Okay. They are so excited. Oh, good. But so excited. Yeah, there's you know lots of concerns with uh, COVID still, and now we've got fall coming up, and there's the conventions and all the anger and the vitriol, and who wants any of that? Uh, you know, it's 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 like the grandma wisdom. You know, birds of a feather flock together, and you become part of what you're around. And if you do immerse yourself in a lot of this darkness, and and, and I know the the temptation is there because you say, I want to be informed. I want to know what's going on in the world. I I, I should watch the news so I can uh, get a perspective on some of the things that are happening in faraway places. But I think there's a a, a certain dosage amount that is survivable. And there's a dosage amount that is lethal. Uh, and I think we have to find that, that there's a balance of being able to be informed without taking in too much of that poison where it harms your soul, where it turns you dark, it turns you negative. And, you know, you, it's, and I've seen that in myself. If I watch, say, too much news, I say, gosh, why am I going to bed so angry? And I, I didn't realize how it was affecting me. I thought, well, there's only one thing. You know, it was either that tub of ice cream, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm angry because it was only half full, uh, but uh, or it was a, a steady diet of too much negative news. And I have to ask myself every now and then, just how much information do you need? How much information do you need to go through your day? Do you need to know everything about every last thing? And it's trivial compared to the big thing, because mm-hmm. there's the one thing that's important. I don't want to sound like Curly from uh, City Slickers. 
but it's absolutely true. Yeah, the yeah. one thing. Yeah. So I was yeah. wondering when you look at the way people communicate with through social media, and I know that you go through uh, waves and periods where you kind of pull back from social media, and I'm not on social media at all, really. I mean, I've got a Twitter account, but I don't don't ever go there. But will there come a time when people say, look, we can't talk this way to each other. We have to stop this platform because it's just too destructive. I am here to tell you the answer to that question is no. Okay. I, I don't I don't think social media uh, um, is the outlet for it. I don't I, I, I think it's too late to put the toothpaste back in the genie bottle or however that works. Uh, or, or is it the genie back in the toothpaste? It's tube? something it's like that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, look, I'm no uh, rocket surgeon, but it, it's it seems to me that we've gone too far down this road and it's, bec- you know, now it's become this anti-social media. You know, my, my standard, it used to be a joke. Now it's the serious thing. You, you love Facebook because it allows you to connect with friends you haven't spoken to in years to replace the friends you're not speaking to now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you just have gotten to the point where you say, okay, gosh, look at, uh, depending on your perspective. And if you happen to be a Christian, you might have been the, like me, somebody who would say, I can't respond to some of these people because they are just waiting to unfriend me. You know, they're, they go on in their Christian bashing uh, and they're tying it into politics and everything else in life and saying, how can, if, you, if you're one of those Christian people, how can you put up with this? I go, oh my gosh, we can, we can play this game all day long. We didn't used to do that. You know, the, the, the next door neighbors were of a different political party and they were still your best friends. Mm-hmm. Now we got to agree on everything, it seems like. Yeah. So have you heard, Patrick, if there's going to be fans in NFL stadiums this fall? I have not heard. Okay. I, I, it's, um, will, there, will there be games? I'm sure they'll do games. I think the Chicago Bears just had a bunch of guys test positive for COVID, and then it turned out they were all false positives. Yeah, I'm hearing that too. And I, I don't see any athletes getting sick, so I, I, I don't know. Um you know, I, I wonder, uh, I, I just saw a, a friend is going to try and put on a show and actually draw people to a theater. And uh, she was apologetic, says, I know this will upset some people. And, and some people are going to have a lot of negative things to say that, you know, I'm risking lives, but you don't have to come to the show. And, and we're going to do everything we can to to mitigate the passing of a disease. But, uh, you know, it's time to do these things. And I'm wondering if more and more people aren't, aren't getting to that point. They say, we're just going to do this and we'll see how it goes. We'll take all the precautions we can, but we're pe- we're sociable people. We like to be together. Yeah, no kidding. I saw Lou Holtz being interviewed, the, the great uh, college football coach who coached at Notre Dame. And he said there has been, I think, 300 uh, athletes that have tested positive and not one of them has been to the hospital. I, I wonder if they've even been sick. Or if they've Did even they- been aware that they didn't, that they were sick. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, and I don't even know what the rules are uh, regarding that. I think I might have told you that you know, my wife went to a clinic for an ear infection the other day, and she had a COVID test a couple of weeks ago so that she could drive her mother to doctor's appointments. Her mother's doctor insisted on it. And when she went to the clinic, they asked if she had had a COVID test. And she said, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, it's negative. And they asked for proof. They asked for her papers, please. <laughs> you know, And she didn't have them, and so they refused to see her. So I, I, you know, I, I then what? kind of scratch my head. I say, I don't know what the rules are regarding 
how you know people are supposed to approach this disease because if you're going to start refusing patients who are sick because they can't prove that they don't have covid i think you're going to encourage people to um, maybe skirt the truth a little bit and then I, didn't someone else come in that had no covid test that then got served they said, the doctor will see you right away. <laughs> and so, so my wife did ask. She said, I- I'm kind of curious. Why did you let her in? Well, she hasn't had a COVID test. Yeah, well, she could be lying about that. Are you assuming that I'm lying about my negative result? Well, we just need proof. So you are assuming that I am lying about my negative result. Well, couldn't she be lying about having not taken a test? Or maybe she hasn't. She didn't want to let you know. And... Uh, I think that's when the police arrived. I'm not so sure. So where did uh, your wife end up going? Well, they told her that she would have to go to a dirty clinic. What is a dirty clinic? Uh, they'll take anybody, no matter what. But we, we did find another place. Uh, she gets these ear infections of, of four, three, four times a year, and they're, they're pretty brutal. So she knows the drill. This was the first time she was turned away. And if she doesn't get her antibiotics for it, pretty quickly uh she'll go down for a week and it's uh let's just say that my ears hurt by the end of it but i'm just trying to understand she goes into a clinic she has uh been tested for covid it's negative and because she can't produce paperwork they don't serve her they won't let her come in yeah so uh you know you wonder with with you know, you you started this by asking about the NFL. Where are things going to go when people, you know, you, you tell a story like that and somebody's going to say, you know, if I ever go to that clinic, I think it's just best to say I have not have a, had a COVID test. Please, can I have my medicine? Mm-hmm. But if there's anything that's going to spread a disease more, it's people lying about whether they've been tested for it or have had it because they've got issues right now. They need to they need to see a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sometimes at, uh, eight o'clock on a Saturday night, there aren't a whole lot of places to go. Yeah. Which is when all this happened. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm praying that we get through this and it starts to go away quickly. I'm, I'm very, uh, hopeful. I think, you know, uh, it's, I mean, I have to admit it's been great for getting the house fixed up because I can't go to too many places. So I am checking things off the list. You know, you know me, I'm not a do-it-yourselfer. I'm a redo-it-yourselfer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Patrick, thanks for uh, accommodating the schedule today and sitting in the green room for an hour to come on. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the uh, peaches, by the way, in the green room. That was you're, a nice touch. You're welcome. Patrick Albanese has been my guest. We'll take a little break. Be joined uh, after the break by Carrie Heddington. Look forward to that. together. Faith Radio.
I'm excited to welcome to the program Carrie Headington. She's an evangelist who speaks throughout not only the U.S., but around the globe. She loves sharing the, the abundant life that's found in Jesus Christ. She loves uh, spiritual seekers. She loves discipling. She's the founder of the Good News Initiative, which provides resources in evangelism. Carrie is a graduate of Yale, where she got her B.A. Uh, she went to Harvard then for her master's and got two graduate degrees from Oxford. I'm embarrassed to read this because it's just making me look really dumb. <laughs> I think that's where I'm going to end the bio. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It is great to be here. I love your show, and so I'm just delighted to be on it today. It's great. Thank you so much, Carrie. Um, I want to talk to you about so much, but I'd like to start with just kind of a general softball question, like kind of an easy one. Like, how do we know God exists? Bill, great <laughs> question. Such a softball question to start with, I Bill. Know, Thanks. I know. Two degrees from Oxford. Come on. Uh, well, actually, I, you know, I think this is the pressing question right now. And, you know, with the coronavirus pandemic ravaging the planet, uh, we are being bombarded on a daily basis with death tolls and not to mention the political unrest and injustice and people sick and going hungry. And in our part of the world at the moment, in Texas, there's a possibility, I'm in Dallas, Texas, there's a possibility of the convergence of two tropical storms possibly turning into hurricanes. Mm. And I think that the question people are asking right now is, God, where are you? Yes. You know, those of us who believe in God are asking, God, what are you up to? And how are you going to bring good out of this? The whole, the whole world is really crying out. You know, the Apostle Paul calls it groaning. He said in his letter to the Romans, the whole creation is groan groaning. And I, we are. And so, you know, today your, your question, how, how do we know God exists? I think it's the question that, that is really on the forefront of many people's minds. And uh, the good news is, is that I believe we, there is a lot of evidence for the existence of God. I'd love to explore that with you today. But as as we dive into this topic, I'd love to just outline what, what some others have, have said on this topic. Um, Oxford professor of chemistry, Peter Atkins, and of course he's echoing his colleagues, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and others, uh, atheists out there. Um, he said this, God absolutely does not exist. The human race must realize how insignificant it is. We are just a bit of slime on the planet belonging to the sun. On the other hand, in his book, The Existence of God, philosopher Richard Swinburne wrote, the experience of so many people in their moments of religious vision corroborates what nature and history show to be quite likely, that there is a God who made and sustains the universe. But, Bill, perhaps one of my favorites is Abraham Lincoln, who stated, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he can look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Mm, amen. Amen. And last but not least, one of America's greatest philosophers, Woody Allen, says this, <laughs> um, if everything is an illusion and nothing exists, not even God, in that case, I've definitely overpaid for my carpet. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so your question, Bill, is there evidence for the existence of God? I would say unequivocally yes. Um, can we prove it in a watertight argument? No, but we can know it to be true. We can know it to be true. Um, refuters of the existence of God, made popular these days by the well-known atheists we know, Dawkins and Dennett and Harris and Hitchens, claim that God does not exist because there's insufficient evidence. And Dawkins and his fellow skeptics use what is called a method of, quote, strong rationalism that proposes that one should not believe in something unless it can be proven rationally, logically, and empirically. And proof really under these kinds of circumstances calls for an argument to be so watertight that that no one with logical faculties can reject it. And they, they want this kind of proof for, for the existence of God. And many have noticed noted that this is not only impossible, because so few things in this life can actually be proven in this kind of way. Almost all of it is mathematical. But interesting to me, Bill, is that their argument actually collapses in on itself. Why? Because one cannot empirically, and by empirically I mean uh, by, by observation, one cannot empirically prove that no one should believe in something without empirical proof. And so the atheist argument actually collapses in on itself and reveals that atheism in the end is also a belief. Atheism also requires faith. When I was at Oxford, there, there was a great debate. On one side was the great theologian Alistair McGrath. On the other side was the atheist Richard Dawkins and these two Oxford minds debating the topic on the existence of God. And I can remember thinking at the end of the night, Dawkins is accepting his view based on much less much less evidence than McGrath. So both were asserting a belief and looking at pointers for the evidence to support their argument, but there was much more evidence for the existence of God than not. So how do we come to any conclusions in this world? Well, we apply, and it's what Lewis and others call critical reasoning. Perhaps we cannot prove something in a watertight mathematical way, but we can be given such a strong reason to suppose that we can know that it's true. So I'm no scientist. I feel like we've all become kind of armchair scientists watching the news, don't you think? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, and but you know, I'm not a scientist, but from what we know is one state's a hypothesis observes to see if this hypothesis stands the test and observes the evidence and forms a conclusion. I mean, we're all watching this with, with as the vaccines and all these trials unfold, you know, which one is going to be the true one. So, of course, this conclusion has to be altered if the evidence proves the opposite and a new conclusion arises. So, for example, before English people uh, had made their way to New Zealand, the definition of a swan was that all swans were white. They believed this because the only swans that have, had ever been observed by the human eye were white. But when the British explorers went to New Zealand and they found black swans, they had to alter their understanding of swans. So we base our conclusion on observation, on accumulated evidence. So, for example, 
how how do I know in my knower and know it to be true that my mom loved me? Well, it's by observation, by others' corroboration, by her word. She told me. She showed me every day of her life. She supported me in every way. She listened to me cry through middle school. Now, if that's not evidence for love, <laughs> I don't know what is. Uh, she was loyal with her love and cared to the end. So I can't prove in a watertight, mathematical, empirically verifiable method that my mother loved me, but I can know it to be true more than any fact in my life. Yeah, and mom is a watertight person. <laughs> yes. You, so you may not have watertight evidence, but you have a watertight person. Yes, which is going to take us straight into the pointers, and the person that you are discussing and pointing to, uh, I'm going to get into in in my point number seven. So I want to look at seven pointers that point to the existence of God. And uh, the last one ascends to a person, and we know who that is. But the first, I think we can start with at the beginning, and especially with someone who, who has has no faith in God at all, we look at the fact of the world. Number one, point number one would be the fact of the world. Um, what accounts for it? Philosopher Martin Heidegger said, why is there something instead of nothing? I mean, if you think about it, Bill, isn't it staggering that the world even exists at all? So the first pointer to the existence of God is the fact that the world exists. And the fact that the world exists begs the question, what or whom created this world? How did it happen? And one of our country's leading geneticists and scientists who's now leading the National Human Genome Project, he's been on television quite a lot during the coronavirus, is Francis Collins. Um, He's a strong follower of Jesus. And in his book, The Language of God, he says this, and I quote, We have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang, 15 billion years ago. The universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seemed to me to be outside of nature. And he continues, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way except as an act of God who intended to create beings like us. Incredible. Now, mm. I, don't want to, I don't want to go overboard on the scientific comments, and I promise this, this is going to be, be my last heavy-hitting science part. But um, the, the great particle physicist John Polkinghorn of Cambridge University uh, argues that in order for life to exist, and this is called fine-tuning or the anthropic principle, in order for life to exist on this planet and for us to exist – the conditions needed for the universe to occur are within such a very tight range of values. 
for many physical constants, such as the speed of light, gravitational constant, the strength of the weak and strong nuclear forces, must have these values that fall together into extremely narrow range. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where matter would have been able to coalesce. It would have been impossible possible for the galaxy stars and planets or people to exist. I mean, to me, just that alone points to a creator God. No kidding. So you might say, well, it all comes down to blind chance. But let's let's explore this for a bit, Bill. Let's say that everything on this earth was created by blind chance. How is it then that the whole world, the whole creation of the world, that is based on cause and effect could have happened randomly. It's unlikely that it, that something random could have created an entire system based on cause and effect. The fact that there is a world points to the reality of an ultimate cause and to me points to the fact that there is a God on this earth. So that's point number one. I have six more to go. I love it. We'll take just a short break then. Does that work for you, Carrie? That sounds great. Terrific. Carrie Heddington is my guest. How do we know God exists? This is a fascinating discussion. We'll take a short break and be right back. So glad to have Carrie Heddington as my guest. Uh, she's got a resume a mile long, and I'd read it, but it would eat up the rest of our time. But she is uh, helping us walk through, how do we know God exists? That's certainly a question that's been popping up in the minds of a lot of people searching, where is God in all the suffering, and does God exist? And I think it's great as believers, we can be better equipped to have these discussions with uh, friends and coworkers that when they come up. So, Carrie, I think we had one point down, six to go. I'm excited to get through the other six. One point down, six to go. So, Bill, just to bring us back, the first pointer to the reality of the existence of God is the fact that the world exists. Why is there something instead of nothing? And the second point is the design of this world that exists. Think of the beauty of nature, a sunset, rolling hills. I cannot walk through the woods in Texas and say there is no God. And I think as we're learning about, um, especially about the human body with the coronavirus, just the intricacy of the world. Think of the intricacies of a leaf. During this time of corona, being uh, stuck at home, I've I've tried to learn how to paint. And Hmm. just to, to try to paint the beauty of a flower, the intricacy of each flower, it's so beautiful. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins put it this way. He said, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Um, St. Paul said it this way in his letter to the Romans. He said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And, of course, Paul goes on to say, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave him thanks. So I think that the fact that the world exists and the second point, the design of this world is so extraordinary. And the third point is, 
human personhood. Human beings are not robots. What makes human beings different from an ape or a fly? Think about human reason, human creativity, human personality. Think of your your favorite comedian, Bill, like yourself. You're a great comedian. <laughs> nah, You're we're a talking. great comedian. So the atheists want to tell us that the personal comes from impersonal cold matter. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Could the mind have come from just cold matter alone? How is it that we are so passionate on life and love and have the ability to play and laugh? All that comes from cold matter. How is it that we have intelligence? Look at these doctors searching for a cure. Could our intelligence have come from the unintelligent? And isn't it rational to believe that, that we could come from a supreme intelligence, a personal source we call God? So our ability to reason and imagine and create and make decisions points to the existence of an ultimate intelligence. Bottom line is our human minds point to the fact that God gave us our minds and point to the reality of a supreme mind who is God. So that's number three. I love that, Carrie. Powerful. Yeah. Point number four, values. Where do the values we cherish, such as truth and beauty and goodness and love, where do those come from? If there is a creator God, then our values make sense. Mm -hmm. They are planted within us by God the supreme value, and each of them shed lights on aspects of his nature. Otherwise, it's a curious question, isn't it, Bill? Where do these values come from? Values are yet another pointer to an ultimate author of values. Love is a perfect example. Now, a materialist, an atheist, would say that love comes from purely scientific impulses. Now, a suggestion for husbands, when you give your wife flowers and tell her you love her, I would avoid saying, I'm having a surge of neurological impulses, which <laughs> now forced me to say, I love you. You know, love. Yeah. Where does it come from? Yeah. And number five, rolling right along here, is our conscience. Conscience. We all have one. Every human being has a sense of right and wrong. We know the difference between the two intuitively. We have this sense of ought. Now, granted, some people's consciences have been uh, twisted by the world, but we need to ask ourselves, where does this ought, this sense of, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that, where does this come from? Doesn't it point to a moral lawgiver in our hearts? Some people argue that morality is just a product of social conditioning. It's just survival of the fittest. However, Bill, if you think about it, most great moral advances, for example, the liberation of slaves, have come from people who are going against the grain of society. And if morality is governed by survival of the fittest, what accounts for voluntary sacrifice for survival of another? Mm. What? What would cause someone to jump in the lake to save a drowning person they don't even know? This, this moral compass imbued in the human heart the world over points to a moral lawgiver. And number six is religion. Wherever you go in the world, in every culture, there is a belief in God. There is this deep desire to worship, to worship something beyond ourselves, to, to transcend ourselves. Where does this concept of God come from in the first place? 
And why is it that humans have this instinct to worship something beyond themselves? This fact that there is a religion, a desire for God, points to the reality of God. And C.S. Lewis summarizes this argument really well. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Human beings feel sexual desire. There's such a thing as sex. And then C.S. Lewis says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So we seek something above and beyond our material world. Bill, we seek God. So true. So true. And St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. And now, last but certainly not least, Bill, and you started with this point from the very top of our conversation, you talked about um, the person, knowing a person. The most convincing evidence for the existence of God is the fact that believers throughout the centuries have testified to that God himself came to earth. God entered into time and space in human flesh. The best evidence for the existence of God is the person of Jesus Christ who claimed to be God. God did not reveal himself in the clouds. He revealed himself in a way that humans could digest and understand. God became a human being and entered into our world. And the Gospels found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John proclaim that God came to earth. He walked among us. He sweated. He got tired. He was one of us. And he taught us about God. And he showed us how to live. And he died for us by suffering a brutal death on the cross so that we, the whole world, could live and be in relationship with God for an eternity. Jesus said this, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. He was referring to himself. And then Jesus said this, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen God. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Ultimately, we can not only know God exists, we can know God himself in and through the person of Jesus Christ because God revealed himself to the whole world. So we know God exists, and not only that, through looking at Jesus, we know God's character. Isn't that encouraging, the loving liberating and life-giving Jesus. Yeah. It, my heart is so full right now after hearing all of this, Carrie. It's so beautiful. And so I think as people ask right now in the midst of this coronavirus, does God exist? We can say emphatically, yes. Yeah. And then, well, if God exists, is God a good God? And we can say, absolutely, yes. And you can get to know him Look at the person of Jesus, and in Jesus we see unconditional love, we see total forgiveness, we see healing, we see that Jesus broke the death barrier for us. So as we're seeing on the television these 
numbers who that are dying every day, we can say death is not the end. Death is not God's plan because he sent Jesus to defeat death. And what I love, Bill, more than anything is that Jesus is alive. God is alive because he says, I will give you my spirit to be with you forever. Jesus said, I am with you even till the end of the age. Mm. And this gives us hope. God oh, is real and active. Yeah. So I, I'd love to end, Bill, for those who are kind of questioning, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal, and this was his wager. He said, if I believe in God and live accordingly, and at the end of my life am proven wrong, I've lost nothing. But if, on the other hand, I believe there is no God and live accordingly, and at the end of my life am proven wrong, I have lost everything. We have hope. God is real, and God is alive, Bill. And I hope this is given uh given some good meat for people to chew on today. It has, yeah, it has me, Carrie. This has been outstanding. What a fantastic way to to uh, finish today's show. Thank you so much for uh, sharing with us. I, I want a Headington on my show every other day. Uh, the Headingtons love you, Bill. <laughs> All right, Carrie. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to our next time to talk. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Bye-bye. You bet. Carrie Headington has been my guest, and that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Have a wonderful night as you lay your head on that pillow. Just know that God is working out his great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.